He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. No! Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday number 32, the 1701D, the next generation episode. And I am Chris Honeywell and I'm here once again with Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Good. You know how it's going. We were just recording two seconds ago with the last episode. <laughs> shh, shh. Don't 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 break the uh, the unreality the third, of it all. The third wall or whatever Fourth wall, wall what, fifth wall, whatever wall we got wall there. Wall over there, great wall. Hello, walls. Wall. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Walmart. <laughs> don't break the wall. The third Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> but this. Oh, is, can you tell it's late, late, late. <laughs> starting this one at 4 a.m., folks. So holy shit! So you can you can. Uh, so after about half an hour or so, folks, if we are not making any sense and just kind of, blah, 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 then you know why. Two True Freaks doesn't just like record a show. We record a show, then Scott gets a virus on his computer, and you know it explodes, and then he pieces it back together with bubble gum and and. Then he rips a piece of wire out of the back and he strings it across his door so his kids trip when they run in the door. It's the bad awesome. thing is, is that you're only slightly exaggerating I know. <laughs> what happened a little while ago. To God, I was. Oh yeah, we we are running very late. We should have been wrapped up by now, but yeah, I did. I had computer problems tonight, but well, here's the skinny, folks. Here's what's going to happen in this episode is. Uh, Chris had an awesome idea when we were talking the other day. We, we both watched the episode that we're going to be talking about shortly, Skin of Evil, and we both realized, damn, is this an awesome episode, and really can spawn a lot of excellent conversation. And rather than kind of short shrift Skin of Evil and have to squeeze in so much other content with a whole nother episode that we'd have to review. And honestly, an episode that I don't know about Chris, I don't feel all that enthusiastic about. I liked it. I, I, I liked it. That's the thing is I, I just want everybody to know we did the homework for both episodes. This issue, yeah. you know, we watched them and took our notes and stuff, but 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I liked. I, I, I really. I actually, I really liked a, a lot of that. The, the other episode we were going to discuss, but Skin of Evil is just sort of a, a very heads and shoulders above. Yeah what we've seen before on on the next generation so i wouldn't mind putting a little extra, extra ex- or yeah. just you know even if it, we don't end up talking about it twice as long Still, just yeah. putting a little more little little more detail into it or you know or or singling it out as the as exactly. the important episode that it is exactly so that's what we're going to do largely with this episode. But first, real quick, real, real quick, before we get into that, I wanted to talk about something real quick. Now, uh, I found myself uh, this week on something of a uh, of a Peter David kick, thanks largely to our buddy uh, Mike Bailey, who suggested a, a Peter David book to me on last month's Comics Monthly Monday. If you listened to the episode, you know the book I'm talking about. If you didn't, well, I'm not going to tell you because I want you to go listen to the damn episode. Anyway, I will be talking about that book in the upcoming uh, Comics Monthly Monday uh, with Michael Bailey that we have not recorded yet because I read that book and I really enjoyed it. But anyway, after I read that book and really, really dug it, I was itching to read some more Peter David. So I got to thinking... What other Peter David books might I have that I hadn't gotten around to yet? And then I remembered, I've got almost, almost the complete series of Peter David's Star Trek New Frontier novels that have come to me very, very, very highly recommended by other Star Trek fans. I've got almost the whole series. I've never read any of them. I've been waiting until I could collect the whole series and, frankly, been waiting for just time, you know, to be able to sit down and read them. So anyway, out of curiosity, I uh, picked up the first book. Man, I blew through it in a couple hours. This is a great book. It was really, really cool. The funny thing about it is that what it's mainly about is this dude, Mackenzie Calhoun, who they're setting up is going to be a new starship captain. He's uh, going to have a whole whole new ship, whole new crew. It's going to be a whole new Star Trek. The first book is, uh, is build right on the cover. A new ship, a new crew, a new mission. Well, the funny thing is it sets up the character so much in this first book and his backstory and the direction of where the story is going to be going. You don't even get to the part where he takes command of the ship yet. It just spent all this time setting him up. I think that's great. You know, Peter David's taking his time to really build this character and you, build the universe. It must be compelling if you blew through it so quickly. Yeah, it was great. I mean, what, what they did was they published the first four books, and they were short books similar to, like, when they put out... Remember they did the Green Mile yeah, yeah, yeah. in, like, chapters? So this was only 168 pages, but still, I mean, I read very slow. But still, I blew through this, and I really, really enjoyed it. The best thing about this, it's full of, um, like, guest appearances, you know, because Picard is in it. Actually, Picard's more than just a guest in the book. He actually plays a very important part in getting this guy uh, involved in Starfleet and getting him into the command chair. So that was really cool. It's also got Spock in it. It's got uh, Dr. Salar in one of the creepiest Star Trek things I ever read. She ends up um, going back to Vulcan for Pon Far. And she and this husband that she's never really met. I mean, you know, they, they, 
It's kind of like when Spock went back for Ponfar. Right, right, you know, no. he had met his bride before when they were kids, but you know that was about it. Well, it's the same thing with her. She goes back to Vulcan to mate with this guy. They're just getting hot and heavy. He has a heart attack and dies while they're like mind linked, and, and it really screws her up. So I'm curious to see where that's going to go. That was really cool. Um, Commander Shelby from uh, Best of Both Worlds is uh, being set up in this as being a player. That asshole, uh, Captain Jellico is in this, and he plays a really cool part. Uh, Admiral Necheyev is in it, and she was pretty cool. I mean, just like I say, a whole bunch of you know characters from all over Star Trek, all in this one book, and I dug it. So, yeah, I'm going right on to the next book, and uh, I'll report back and let you guys know what I think. But I wish I could remember... I know that uh, two or three people on the forum over you know the, the past few months have been recommending these books to me. I wish I could remember specifically who they were, but you know to everybody that's been recommending these to me, thanks, because I'm glad I finally picked this up and got started, because now that I got started, I got to keep You're going. Hooked, yeah. yeah, I'm hooked. It was really, really good. And uh, I was going to tell you, Chris, you know, these are out as, uh, as audio books and such, too. Um, I, you know, I might have to see about getting you into that stuff so that we I'm can always, uh, maybe I'm always more together. likely to read the, read the book than to listen to the audio books, to tell you the truth. Well, I know these books... Every used bookstore I've ever been in has at least like the first two or three of these books. I would say see if you can pick them up on the cheap for like yeah. a buck or two and follow along because, man, this is good stuff. And I would love to be able to get your opinion on this because I think you would dig it. This is much more like, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, this is like hardcore Star Trek because this guy that they're setting up to be the new captain, he's a bad ass. So I think I'm going to enjoy this. I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot because he's uh, he's a pretty tough customer. So I, I think it's going to be a little more bare knuckle cowboy type Star Trek. A little yeah, on the Kirk side, in, yeah, yeah, but, but it's it's set so in the so he's putting uh, a Kirk in the next gen, gen era. Excellent. But he's he's very different from Kirk in the aspect of he's much more of a of a I would say dark character. He's like dark and driven. You know what I mean? He's he's much more tough, taciturn. You know, no nonsense guy. Tough whereas guy. Kirk, yeah, yeah. Kirk was a Renaissance man. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm curious to see where this is going to go. I'm, I'm actually very curious to see where it's going to go. Kirk was a lover and a fighter <laughs> and a fighter, a poet and a preacher. <laughs> if An you say so, and a gentleman. Well, I don't know about that. He was two but men yeah. and a little lady. <laughs> Well, I say let's take a quick little break and then we will come back and we will delve into the full deal on uh, this episode, Skin of Evil. Evil. On the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Data, something's got me! A sinister creature threatens murder. Please stop hurting him! And traps Consular Troy in a shipwrecked vessel. One of you is going to die. Now it's a struggle to stop the alien savage power. Get them up, now! But one of the crew will bid a tragic farewell on Star Trek The Next Generation. Alright, we are back. That was, uh... That was quick. And it is time to go into this powerful Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Skin of Evil. Scott will tell you what it's all about. Yes. This uh, episode first aired the week 
of April 25th, 1988. Man, that was a while ago. So in this one, Troy and her shuttle pilot are pulled off course. They crash on Vagra 2, the home of the sadistic being Armus, created from the cast-off sins of his race and then abandoned. An away team beams down to rescue the counselor, but Armus and a, a fourth forced field of his creation are in their way. Then, acting out of sheer malice, the black oozing form of goo tortures Riker, taunts LaForge and Data, and kills Yar. Worf, who is now acting security chief, and Wesley discover that Armus loses his power when provoked. Using that weakness, Picard is finally able to get his people out, but not before trying to reason with Armus one more time. He even has the splintered shuttle destroyed to prevent Armus from leaving the planet. Back on the Enterprise, crew members play a recorded hologram of Yar's will and her last thoughts to her friends. All of them, even Data, derive strength from their grief from their friendship with the security chief. Eh, I don't know about that synopsis. It's serviceable, but I don't know that it gives the full... That's what we're here for. Yeah, that's our job, I guess. That's from the uh, Star Trek Companion. Well, right off the bat... uh Uh-huh. It started off on a bad note with the quote, it'll be good to have Counselor Troy back. (laughs) And I was just like, really? It will? When was that? But it's all uphill from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's one of the things I think about this episode is that um, I'll, I'll just get this out of the way right off the bat. One of my top five episodes. I love yeah. this episode it is a, it's a solid episode i think it is a truly great piece of not only star trek but i think it's a great piece of television i really really enjoy this and the only major problem i have with it is that the whole pre-credits opener to this one is pretty cheesy i mean the the dialogue's kind of rough it doesn't really give you a feel of what the episode is going to be at all. But the, you know, but I have that that's actually been a common complaint of mine so far with this series is that a lot of the openers just feel kind of weird, you know? And I Almost don't think I re- Yeah, they do. Very very much so. And I don't think I really noticed that until we're going back over this because I can remember watching these when they were coming out. A lot of times I would miss the opener. And I wasn't catching the episode until after the first commercial break, you know, when it would come back and give you the name of the episode. And then you knew, you know, generally if you were in for a decent ride or not, you know, if you if you were familiar with what the episode was just by the title. So a lot of these openers, I don't remember them very well because I haven't seen them that many times, this being one of them. But uh, I think it's very funny that, you know, uh, what's her name? Denise Crosby that played Yar is quoted as saying that if she had gotten more scenes like the one at the beginning of this one between her and Worf, that she might have stuck around. Because it's very true. I mean, this is one of the best Yar scenes in the whole series, and this is the last one with her in it. So that is kind of a shame, because I like that moment between her and Worf. I know. Well, it's, it's great. It sets up a whole, you know, sports match that never, ha- that never happens, you know? Right. And mm-hmm. uh, so, it, yeah, well, it sets itself up as just like, hey, here's a normal episode of The Next Generation. But I remember the first time I saw this when it first aired I, and I didn't pay attention at the beginning. I was starting to think, did they get Harlan Ellison to write this episode or something? 
because this is some dark shit, you know, when it gets, I, it's, it's weird because I remember this episode a lot differently. I haven't seen it since it first aired, but I remember going, man, this is tight science fiction and that evil is truly evil and threatening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and brilliantly they kill off a main character at the beginning to show that it can happen and that puts so much more tension and plus Armis is is legitimately frightening his voice is creepy as hell yeah and he does a lot of just like labored breathing and stuff that could be cheesy but it isn't it's really it's like exorcist style creepy but I remember I in my memory I remembered when she got killed I remember, I, I sort of remembered it as her being just, like, completely vaporized and being just, like, gone. And it was just, like, she's with no, you know, resolution to it, you know, no body. or I just, I just seem to remember her being, I got Riker getting sucked into the goo and her mixed into sort of one thing where I thought... And, and I always thought, wow, it was really ballsy. They just, like, the, the character was just gone in an instant, and that was that, and it was just that sort of sudden real-life thing. But then when I watched it, no, I realized they had the whole scene where they tried to revive her, and then you have a closing scene where she doesn't really read her will. She just sort of has a little, every, you know, and you, Tin Man, you know, you were my favorite of all, Tin Man. Cause you <laughs> now, you know, this... about that scene... I've heard a lot of people over the years, I've, I've heard people say this, and I've read different things saying is a lot of people want to pick that scene apart and go, gee, you know, it's very convenient that she only left a will addressing the people that just happened to be at her actual funeral. And then, you know, there was even something about, gee, it's awfully funny that she looks right at the people and all that. I chalk all that up to the holodeck. Yeah. That the computer is compensating. That it probably did include statements to people that weren't present at the funeral and just omitted them. You know, yep. that the computer's smart enough to know both who was present and where they were standing so it adjusts the program. She set one, She probably had one for mom and dad, too, in case mom and dad were there, you know? Right. And, right. And, yeah, I, I, I sort of thought the same thing. It was weird because I didn't remember any of that stuff. And when it started off, I'm like, man, Picard is, like remarkably taking this like when he was like all right we're here and she had a video and it was you know it was just a strike he was strikingly blasé about it and it was a striking difference to like kirk giving a eulogy for spock you know now kirk and spock were best friends right but at the same time i thought picard seemed totally devoid of emotion but then i re- as i'm watching it i realize well all the emotional pulse of this is because they, they can actually have the character speak from beyond the grave. And then right. Picard gets to show some emotion after he's been addressed and he calls the whole thing over, you know, when he when he calls the end to it, you know, he has and and I thought that was brilliant. I was like thinking, man, why is Picard and, and it's like, oh okay, they're they're putting they're giving the focus uh, you know, they're giving the tear up moments to Denise Richards actually gets them and gets to you know Denise put, Crosby put, or Crosby Denise Richards gets to gets to 
push all the the buttons instead of the captain giving the eulogy. So I thought right. that was a nice a nice twist on you know on on the eulogy of Spock, you know, and it was it was a it was a different thing. But uh yeah, I mean it's pretty shocking a character dying on Star Trek like that and like dying definitively, you know, just like, yeah, oh, there's nothing we could do. She was completely, you know, her synapses are just fried out, you know? Right. And it was a, a nice physical job of acting when they were jolting her, trying to get her brain started again. And each time they did, she would react less and less to it. Right. That whole scene was very, you know, especially the first time I, uh, I saw it, it was probably, <laughs> not that I remember it, but it was probably a lot more dramatic because... You know, you got to think, 1988, there wasn't a lot of stuff like that, you know, where, you know, they were, were, especially on Star Trek, we were sort of used to characters not dying unless they were a red shirt or just introduced that episode. Right. So, so as soon as she was like, she's dead, as soon as you come back from commercial and they're ru- rushing her into sickbay, you're like, oh, she's not dead. Which also brings up another this- pet peeve of mine is... Uh- all right, they beam up to the ship, and then immediately she tells Data to pick up her body and take her to sickbay. Why the hell didn't they just beam to sickbay? They can do that, yeah. you know? This isn't old-school Star Trek where they have to beam up to the ship and then, you know, run to wherever they have to be. This is the one where they can transport anywhere, anytime, site to site. So, yeah, that... I also understand me. why they couldn't beam to the other side of Armis, but I don't understand why they didn't try. Because at that point, they didn't know Armis w- had the power to stop them from beaming to the other side. When they were like, oh, this glob of goo won't let us go by, I would have been just like, hey, beam us over to the shuttle, you know? Right. Beam us over 15 feet forward, you know, and then we'll walk over to the shuttle, you know, problem solved. And then they would have figured out that Armis would have stopped them doing it. But they didn't even try. So that was what, but that's just a, a minor quibble. I, I, I think, uh, this was one of the first episodes where Troy actually plays a useful part in the I story. I will say the first. I, I honestly, I will stick to that. I think this is the first episode where she's not only useful, she's actually an enjoyable part yeah, of the episode. She's earning her pay. She's do it. She 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 is, yeah, she's I like she, her in this one. I really do. It, it, yeah, she she is she figures out how to how to screw with Armis so they can get out of there. You know, she uses her her annoying psychology and psychiatry. Finally, instead of picking on somebody who's in an emergency situation by coming in and telling them that they've got to get in touch with their emotions and and you know come deal with their dead grandmother or whatever, you know. She actually has now. There's a, there's a challenge, you know, a skin of pure evil, a black tar pit of cast off pure evil from godlike beings. Yeah, okay, good. That's who you should be uh, spending your time messing with, not you know some guy. <laughs> he's you know I'm trying to separate the saucer right now, and it's just like you know you must let go of your grandmother. Yeah, I will in 15 minutes. Okay, so fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> Pardon my French. <laughs> I uh, I think 
this is one of the the rare times, at least so far, that I've been able to say this. But I think everybody is really good in this episode. I think all of the characters get a moment to shine, and I think some of them shine very well in this episode. This episode has some of my favorite lines of the entire run of uh, of Next Gen. You know, some of my favorite moments because I love when they beam down and they see Armas for the first time where he emerges out of the goo and stands before them and Picard calls down and says, well, what do you see, number one? And then he just says, trouble. I love that. I mean, it's cheesy, but I, I it works for me. I really like that part. And uh, Data, you know, Brent Spiner had this great ability, you know, that, that you know, we were so used to Data being kind of the sweet, lovable, naive robot that you could forget that every once in a while he could be damn creepy. He could deliver a line or or, or give a look in such a way that would kind of freak you out a little bit. And a perfect example is like when he's starting to lose his shit in uh, Generations, when the the, uh, emotion chip starts to flip out and he's making all those weird faces and laughing really. That kind of freaks me out every time I see it. This episode has a great moment with that where Data takes on kind of a sinister air where he's analyzing Armus and and basically running down the list of all the things that are wrong with Armus. And Armus is very proud of this, and he says, well, what do you think, Tin Man? And Data is kind of scary in the way he delivers the line. He just says flat out, I think you should be destroyed. But it's the way he delivers that line, it's just like, yeah, Damn, he's come to the logical pretty, conclusion yeah. that a living being should be destroyed. Yeah, which actually is probably in in Roddenberry Star Trek. You know, at a time when Roddenberry was very, you know, still very involved, that that was a big moment because up till then, Roddenberry was very uh, touchy feely. You know, live and let live. Everything deserves a place. Kind of kind of thing. This was the first time. He really came right out and said, no, this thing has no redeeming qualities. It needs to die. I think it would be harder. It would probably be less likely for Data to spit out that decision than it would be for a human to be. Kirk would be be like, fry it, you know, instantly. (laughs) You know, he would make an emotion. But Data, without without that emotional aspect of making the decision of, like, pure evil, get rid of it, you know, get it out of here. You know, data on a purely analytical. Well, that then you. Re- that's why I was thinking, who who the hell wrote this? Was it some famous science fiction writer? Because I mean, you know, data's been sort of like the Spock. Like, let's make him the character that's a fish out of water, and he's fascinating because he's a robot and he's quirky. You know, there's o- the quirky character. You know, it's like Latka from Taxi or something. You know, you got that person who's off from everybody else you know and data sort of that and he's used for comedy relief or just like oh the robot's being trying to be a human or whatever but this one you really see data's a robot you know and and the and armis you know just refers to him as tin man and robot and you know you and and flat out keeps you know saying you have no emotions you have no feelings you have no you know you're not alive and blah, blah, blah. And data is just like, yes, you're correct, you know. But, you know, it's it's really brought home that data is just a, a simulation 
of something alive that you know it, to to some point you know to the, you know i mean i know he's more advanced to where he's almost like a mechanical version of a of a of a living being is in you know is in like skin and all that is sort of reproduced in some way you know he's sort of like a genetic machine too now he's not a cyborg but he's sort of what a you know whatever but um yeah armis just brings that home and and yeah all of a sudden this character that was this very appealing character is a little bit creepy around the edges and right you know i mean you there's a lot of things going on in this episode internally that don't come out external it's weird because i noticed like when they had jordy come down and they said hey jordy check it out with your visor he i think he actually said i could check it out with my visor and maybe i'll see something different right he's like so overacting that he's like crouched down and like while they're all talking to him jordy's like obviously you know he's not checking him he could just stand there and look at him but he's crouched down and like i'm checking you out and when picard comes down there's no you know there's no boardroom meeting in this one Right. There's no boardroom meeting where they're like, how are we going to deal with this captain? And well, we must not do this. Picard comes down poker faced. You don't know what's going on in him in inside his head. And, you know, Armis is like, you know, jump through this hoop. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. You know, basically says, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice, you know, my friend that you've got sucked into your glob of goo. And you, you, you're probably going to kill us all, but I'm not going to jump through your hoops. Sorry, you know, and just spells it out. And it's like, damn, that's cold. You know, even even Armis basically says, damn, man, you are cold. And he's just like, no, I just and you're realizing, you know, this isn't this is one of those. They're dealing with pure evil. There's no time for there's no you know, making a consensus. Everybody's in worst case scenario mode, plus somebody that they know has just been killed, and and they're just they're not pulling any punches. You know, they're not they are they they can't afford to fuck around with Armis, not one little bit. You know, Picard and and the, and they're all probably thinking to themselves, well, I could die at any second, and Picard. There's several times where Picard or somebody will call off somebody from doing something because they know Armis was about to kill that person, you know. And when they called that person off, they just jumped through the hoop, and they figured that out real quick. And they're like, "We got to stop jumping through all hoops." So it was <laughs> all about, you know, the resolve that everybody had to go through without even consulting with each other. We're not going to jump through these this guy's hoop. And we have to stick to it, and we're probably going to see everybody die. But, you know, that's the only thing we can do, you know? And luckily, they find a weakness that they can exploit, and that's how they get out of there. Otherwise, they would have all died, you know? And they knew it. So it was, it's, a, it's intense. It's the most intense episode of Star Trek The Next Generation to date. And I don't want to say it because I haven't seen a lot of them, but I'm. It's. Right. I bet you there's only a handful that. Actually, there's one coming up, <laughs> pr- 
pretty soon that's pretty intense too so i mean there there are you know as the series goes on there are a lot of episodes that are very uh you know both intense as far as the subject matter or the intensity of a of an actor's performance you know uh um, Patrick Stewart in the one where he's captured by the Cardassians comes to mind as you yes. know, a truly intense and, and great performance. Is that the There Are Three Lights? Yeah, or? yeah. See, I, I wasn't aware you had seen that one. Yeah, that's a really good one. You know, so there are other really intense episodes, but this one I think stands unique because not only is it intense from a dramatic and villain threat level perspective but it's intense at the complete opposite end of the uh, spectrum is that for me i find this a very very emotional episode i mean i can't watch this one without tearing up because it's not like i had any like super huge attachment to tasha i mean yes i liked her a lot yes uh, of the characters that kicked off the series she was one of my absolute favorites she was probably one of my top three character you know of the core characters that initiated the next gen series she was one of my favorites i really enjoyed her and i i've always liked her i've always had a soft spot for her in the aspect of had she lived i wonder where it would have gone because i still like to think that she and Riker might have wound up together i still like that idea you know although i couldn't help but think today you know when i was watching this episode and, and my and wife Worf was watching have, with me uh, well, maybe her and Worf, but also I kind of wonder as the series wore on and not really so much with Next Gen, but definitely by the time, like, say, DS9 was coming along, things were getting a little more um, liberal on television as far as things that they could explore and directions that they could go. I kind of wonder if maybe we would have seen Yar fully go to the dark side which is something that has been speculated on endlessly whether she really went for guys or not you know or maybe she oh. you know went both ways or something like that so who knows where that could have gone but anyway you know regardless of all that uh, who I, I knows like but her, i would have liked to have yeah. seen i would have liked to have checked it out <laughs> but i really liked her character i really liked denise crosby you know as as an actress and as a person but i really liked her in this role i thought i thought that natasha yar had a whole lot more story to tell but now why why did, did they kill her just because that was the story or was there some there was there something where she had to do something else or there Something well, her the, the biggest thing was that she Denise Crosby wanted off the show, and okay. the way I'm I'm led to believe that it happened. One of the reasons her her last line in the episode is "Hailing frequencies close, sir," which is it's got a, a an extra bit of irony to it. Was that that was basically Denise Crosby's biggest complaint was that the character just didn't have enough to do, and she didn't want to just be the Ahura of the show. Which I always thought was kind of a... I always wondered how, if she ever even heard it, how did uh, Nichelle Nichols feel about that dig? Because Nichelle Nichols, you know, yeah, Ahura could have gotten a little bit more to do, but still, she's, she's very... pretty proud, yeah. She's yeah, pretty proud she of what... She's pretty proud of her, the role that she that she played in Star Trek. Now, and if more Nichelle Nichols was playing Ahura today and that's all she was doing, she might be a little more like... 
come on, give me something more to do. Right. But right. back in but the, in that those time, days, yeah. she was probably kind of amazed that she was even there in the first place. Right. You know, exactly. So. You know, a black a black woman as a, a bridge officer on you know a ship. Yeah, that was unheard of in this in the '60s. So yeah, I mean, she was literally breaking new ground every episode that every she episode played, yeah so. and then then all she had to do is make out with kirk that one time and it was <laughs> another you know another yeah. first yeah absolutely so you know but by the time we come around to this you know it's the late 80s and everything and she just felt like she wasn't doing anything but being the or her of the show you know, hailing frequencies open hailing frequencies closed, and that's pretty much all she really seemed to do and she came to resent it and she Basically, you know, she pulled a, uh, what's the dude's name, McLean Stevenson, thinking that, you know, bigger and better lay out there for her, bowed out of the show to go make movies. And then, so far as I can remember, she made like Red Shoes Diaries, which kind of sucked. And that was the last we heard of her until she, spoiler, came back to Star Trek. Trek. So, but, you know, saying that as a spoiler, you know, she came back, but she did not come back as... Tasha, and I think that's a very important distinction is that, you know, I I was looking at something today that was just giving information about this episode, and the very first, like, little trivia thing that it had was that um, this episode marks the first time in Star Trek history that a regular character was killed and not brought back to life, and I really had to think about that, and I think you and I talked about this off air where I was going, is that right? And I guess it really is. It really didn't occur to me and it just doesn't seem like that could be possible but yeah it pretty much is of you know if you think of main characters she was the first one yep and well, i i think that was a dumb decision on her part or, or at least because a there were six six more seasons in the future for her to develop the yeah, character. but she didn't know that none of them None, none of, none of them, them know it, but the show was going to get renewed. I got to put know? it this way. At, at that point, especially if it's it's like getting a role in a, it's a double-edged sword. You get into Star Trek, you're going to be associated with Star Trek for the rest of your life if the Star Trek show is successful. Right. And, you know, there's going to be movies. Co- you know, you might always get your chance to to shine as Yar. In the well, future. in her particular case, though, I think one thing that may have been coloring her decision was who she was. I mean, she's um, Bing Crosby's granddaughter, and I think she was probably bargaining on her name a little bit more than what you know she actually what you know the value that it actually had. If you well, know yeah, I, mean. I don't think Bing Crosby had as much play. In the 80s, Star- yeah. With late Star 80s, Trek yeah. fans in the 80s and it did with their grandparents, you know what I mean? Right. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, it, it's funny you say that because... Speculation. For her, for Denise Crosby, I mean, I have no idea whether she feels like it was a mistake or it was the right thing to do now. You know, looking back, I, I would imagine since she came back, she regretted the decision. But what's funny is that for her personally, I imagine it was probably a big regret. But for what it did for Star Trek, especially for Next Gen, I think it was important because this episode... It kicks it up a notch. It does. It's It's a game changer because this is where you realized, you know, wow, 
you know, they they killed off a major character. You well, know, I was that, I was thinking up to this point, I was like very happy with it because I really expected Next Generation to suck. And that was mostly because I just fucking hate LeVar Burton up to that point. Like, Jordy LaForge has improved my, has made me like LeVar Burton. But up to that point, I just hated him. I thought he was, like, just, his demeanor was, like, this, like, all, all I knew was reading Rainbow. And I was just, like, I don't like the direction, the, putting the reading Rainbow guy on there who's, like, hi, kids, you know? And I'm, like, come on, you know? And then when I saw it, I said, hey, you know, this is solid sci-fi and it feels like Star Trek. I could get into this. But when this happened, I was like, man, this is serious sci-fi. That was uh, that was like right. reading a, a, a pretty well thought out dark. You know, it was uh, it, it was a there was some complicated stuff going on there with Armis for especially right. compared to the other stuff in that we've seen so far in this, which hasn't been like fluffy sci-fi by any means as a matter of fact it's already been a little more intellectual than the original season it's been a little more cerebral maybe than intellectual really well you know one of the one of the reasons i always really liked star trek 3 the search for spock and one of the reasons it's it's one of my favorite movies of the star trek film excuse me the star trek film franchise is that you know spock dies and while it leaves a hole in the crew, it also makes them very tight. It brings them together in a way that up till now they had all worked together and you could make an argument that they were a family, but they were really just work professionals. You know, they were work professionals, but they were also kind of invincible up to that point too as a group. And now suddenly... You know, Spock, you know, a a major part, one of the big three of the group was gone. And the others rallied around Kirk, you know, and they really pulled together. And of all the movies, I really would argue that three is the strongest one as far as it feels like a family. They're not on a mission. They're not on an adventure. They're not out there for king and country. They're out there for friendship and family and the things that are really important to people. Oh yeah. That's, that's the, that's the total theme of that movie. And that's one of the big things that's been cited about next gen. And one of the reasons why a lot of people say that they prefer next gen over the original series is that the original series, when you watch this, this series, yeah, there there's, there's friendships going on, but overall, you know, they're on a mission. Yeah, Whereas a lot of times next gen, it feels more like th- this is a family that we're, we're following on their adventures. You know, these people are very close knit. They're very close together. You know, they all know and love each other and they're very close. And this, I think, is the thing that brought them together, that turned them from just being a, a bunch of disparate people that worked together to suddenly a family that had a shared they were loss. A family yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Because. They never recover from Yar's death. You know, they don't dwell on it every single episode, but it comes up frequently through the rest of the course of this entire series all the way to the very last episode when we see Yar again in flashback. I mean, 
this was something that stuck with these people and affected them for the rest of their professional lives, you know? And I like that. I, that, to me, feels very real because you don't just write off the people that are important in your lives when they die, you know? Well, I think also, I think also, I would think if I was writing the show, I'm like, if we're going to kill off this character, we're going to have to address it because there's going to be kids watching. Right, yeah. And, and kids, and I mean... I, I, I mean, honestly, if when I was like six years old and I was watching the original series or seven, seven, eight years old, and it, 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 you know, I remember when McCoy got run through in Shore Leave, you know, I right. was just like, yeah. holy, you know, that was, that crushed me. And, you know, luckily he was brought back to life just a little while later. But if, if he had been gone, <laughs> It, well, right. I, I thought he was done. I thought he was, a, I mean, he was run through with it. You know, I, I mean, when I was a little kid, I took that shit at face value, you know, right out, you know. So, but with this, she was really gone, you know. She wasn't restored at the end of the episode, so the parents don't have to go like, oh, my God, just a little side note, but to the same effect with, you know, kids with this stuff. I went to see um, my favorite movie in the whole world, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest tonight on a big screen. And um, we're watching the movie, and the mo- I, have you ever seen it? One time, yeah. I don't. I really don't remember it very well. Well, the the, the first hour of it is really kind of funny. It's got you know, it's got uh, you know, Danny DeVito. All the crazies are these great characters. It's got um, um, what's his name? Jim from Taxi, the Klingon there. Oh yeah, um, Christopher it, Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd in it, you know, and they're all being crazy, and they're all crazy people. And it's got Jack Nicholson being, you know, uh, a cut up in in the middle of it. And while this is happening, I hear the laughter of like little kids, like laughing at the stuff, like real and really getting into it. And I'm like, oh no, because I know where this movie's headed, you know with lobotomies and strangulation and, you know, suicide and, yeah, just bad and suffocation. And, uh, and, and I was thinking, man, you know, does this father know what these, what is the, these little girls that are laughing there are going to happen? Because they're loving these characters, you know, and some of them are going to end up dead here pretty soon. And as soon as the movie was over, I heard him, you know, as soon as as soon as it was done, I heard you you could tell that he was like, "Oh shit, I didn't know that was gonna happen," and then just started doing damage control and explaining <laughs> to him, you know, and it was just like, "Jeez, man, and it would be the same with this if i had, if I was watching this with like an eight year old kid you'd have to be like, "Well, sometimes people die, you know, but so Yar's not coming back? No, not for many, many years, and not her. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch this with my with my boys, and uh, I, I, I now I regret. I wonder what they would have thought of this episode. You know, I don't. I don't know that either one of them have ever seen it. Now that I think about it, but uh, you know, that was one of the other things about this too. Uh, you know, a common complaint that I hear, a common criticism of this one, is the way that she died. I think this episode would be completely different and would not have the power that it does. If she had dying breath words and yeah, dramatic... If she, you know, 
Yeah, if if it had been a blaze of glory or like you say, you know, like a like a Yoda death, you know, no, I'm, where I'm she in- had all this stuff to say before she finally expires. I think the fact that she, it, it's a classic, secure, you know, red shirt death. I mean, she's very, you know, uh, I was gonna say arrogant. Arrogance, not really. She's very uh, sure of herself. And she's going to go in there as security chief and she's going to kick a little ass and do what needs to be done. And she goes to storm over to the shuttle to save her friend. Boom. She pays the price. She's killed right. for it outright. That's, that's it. What, Boom. That's, she's dead. That's how, and that's how life is. That's how death yeah. comes in a second, you know, and then right. someone's alive and then they're dead. And, right. then you, and then you go, oh, my God, what the fuck just happened? You know, and then you start dealing with it. But it happens in the wink of an eye. And right. that's what I always liked. That, and that's why the memory of that show, I think, to me, exaggerated that the suddenness of her death. Right. But it's a very, it's, you know, it's a walking dead sort of like thing. And, and I mean, I think that was necessary in that show because it had to show that Armis would just kill her with the wave, of, would kill somebody with the wave of a hand. Go up. Oh, it doesn't mean anything to me. I'll kill them and I'll kill them for real. So from that point on. You know he's not messing around, you know. There you know. Right. So so from that point on, ev- you can really almost seriously you know, fear for any, you know, you're like jeez, you know. They just killed somebody, they could kill somebody else, you know. That's very powerful. I think that sends a, a both a powerful message you know within the the internal logic of the show, but also for the series as a whole, but also just for the realism of, of the particular and, episode. As you say, that's how death frequently comes to people is it's, you know, you don't have any forewarning. You don't have any great opportunity to lay there and do all your finished business before your life runs out. Sometimes it's just bang. That's it. It's over. One, and, day, one day you're walking along and the next thing you know, you're flat, you know, in, right. in the wink of an eye. And, you know, I mean... Yeah, and that's a, and and she, I mean, she addressed that in her, in her, videotape from the grave where she said, "I probably died in the line of duty, and I probably died quickly and painlessly, or you know, or something right. to that effect, you know." And that's the way I would have wanted to go, and and it also shows, you know, that, you know, she was doing her job, you know, she 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 did her job without hesitation without anything you know without the fear of death stopping her from you know by that point she i'm sure she pretty much conquered her fear of death after her horrible childhood and, oh yeah and all, and all that so i don't i don't think she was afraid to die you know i think that was an important right. part of her character was that she realized that that was the risk she took every time she, you know, left her quarters or beamed down to a planet or whatever. That that was part of the job, and and she accepted that. And I I like that part of her, you know, her farewell speech at the end was that you know she tells Worf, I hope I met death with my eyes wide open. I think she realized that that's probably what was going to happen to her in the end. I think that's, you know, I think that's a very noble way to face your life is to is to face it going well. You know, I can live in fear, or I can get out there and say, you know, give me your best shot. You know, and it, and if something gets me, well, I was doing what I, you know, I was doing what I wanted to do and doing it correctly, 
And if something gets me, well, that's that's <laughs> something's gonna get you eventually, right? You know? And um, I, I, I think right up until the moment she died, they kept doing. I think the whole. I mean, this is, this is such a wonderful. Ep- I mean, it was so well thought out the way they did it. Is you know the the, the su- suddenness. If she'd had a gasp of breath, then you'd know at that point she was dead. But they tease it out, you know. And you think, right. oh, she's knocked down the ground. The doctor says she's dead. We go to a commercial. We come right. back. They're trying to save her. You're like, okay, I know how this plays out in Star Trek or in any other TV show. And they're trying and they're trying and it's not working. Okay, I know how this goes. Wait a minute. This isn't going the way, you know. It, it keeps lulling you. It keeps playing on the on the standard tropes of of Star Tre- Star Trek or, show, or just any kind of TV show where nobody really dies or they almost die or you know it's a dramatic thing but it's like oh well she's not going to die she didn't get any last words or or anything like that you know they're not going to let anybody on a TV show go without giving them their big you know oh tell my mother that I love her you know and then eh. but what's funny is I, I think that the I think the scene in Sick Bay, I think it's a beautiful scene, and I think it bears out, you know, your hypothesis because we see, you know, we've got uh, I forget who all is standing there. I know Riker most definitely is standing there because he's chewing his nails. He looks very upset. Yeah. And I love the scene where Picard walks in, and he stands face to face with Riker, so that we can see Riker. We can't see. Picard, because his back is to us, and you can see them just looking at each other, you know. But in that moment, I think Riker's a lot more worried for Tasha than Picard is, because while Picard is obviously concerned, I think he's playing the part of he's the saying, viewer that's going, yeah, yeah, you know, I know we have to be here in sick bay, but she's not going to die, you know. This is Star Trek. And when the doctor pronounces her dead, his reaction is our reaction. That, yeah. What? What? It's what? She's dead? That's it? That's all you can do? I mean, I like that because it's very, it feels very real, you know, that, like I say, you know, he's obviously concerned, but I don't think he, he really thinks that, you know, I mean, yeah, come, he's come just, on, I mean, that's just... their job. That's what, uh, you know, I was going to say McCoy. That's what, uh. Crusher does every episode that, oh, we're all going to die. And then, you know, at the last possible say, oh, we're all going to be all right. I've got the serum, you know? yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've got the antidote. And when she doesn't do that, it's, I mean, it's a punch in the gut. It really is. And, uh, you know, I even like her performance in this. You know, I'm, I'm frequently very hard on, on Dr. Crusher. I really don't care so much for that actress that plays her or her character. But even she's really good in this because you can see that it, really bothered her that she she couldn't do anything that it was all over you know uh, but i liked, I liked also i liked also that yes it, it it bothered her but she also did realize there was nothing that she did do all that she could there was nothing else she could do but it, yet it still bothered her right but she was but we weren't going to get the whole like oh if i could only have done more you know needless subplot they they you know, like, the, it, it, it's just so lean and mean. And another thing to Star Trek's credit is, you know, this was a really powerful episode. 
and they didn't milk that that you know they didn't milk the whole thing by killing off other doing the same thing over and over again which a lot of series would have done they would have been like oh you know that we got really good ratings and people really like that episode you know maybe we'll have to kill off a character here and there you know i can't think of another character death that happens you know i mean the next one that comes to mind happens so far down the road it is very powerful but still nowhere near this and that would be um you know spoiler alert for you know way 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 down the road but when uh, when Worf's wife is killed, when when Jadzia dies, that's a powerful episode, and it was a really powerful death. That's another one that you know brought a tear to my eye when I watched that episode. But that's so far down the road, and a whole another series. Right. So yeah, off the they didn't off the milk top it. of my head, most, I can't, most I can't series would have milked that. I they would have said, hey, you know, every once in a while we'll have to have somebody. Uh, yeah. buy it and that and that'll also make you think that you know it'll build the tension and stuff but no they uh they just sort of left it at this one which gives more power to this makes this one even still more powerful well you know i i would argue that you know they they definitely you they continue to while they don't continue to use the gimmick of let's kill somebody they do continue to milk this one almost to the point of exploitation you know, so they do get a lot of mileage out of this one, you know, out of out of Tasha's death. Um, I wanted to talk just briefly. I don't know that you've ever seen the episode, but just briefly about when Tasha does come back. I never saw the episode where she came back, but I remember like flipping through and seeing and going, oh, I wonder how they lined that up. <laughs> Well, we'll, it wasn't we'll it find like out. her sister or something like that or something. Actually, her sister does come on the show at one point, um, played by an actress that looks a hell of a lot like uh, uh, Linda Hamilton, actually. But uh, I, well, I won't spoil any. And I wasn't going to spoil anything about the episode anyway. But you know, one of the things I, I read a lot about this episode in preparation for this episode and uh, or for this recording. I mean. And uh, a couple of things jumped out at me. One is that, you know, Ron Moore, who I don't think is on the series yet. I think he comes along, you know, later on, like in a second or third season. But he would play an important part in the series, you know, and steering the direction of the writing and stuff like that. According to him, you know, one of the big reasons that they brought Yar back in that episode was to kind of address the fan... Uh, reaction and and dissatisfaction and everything to the way that they had killed uh tasha off and i kind of hope that that's not really true because that you know i love yesterday's enterprise it's a solid episode one of the very best of the entire series of next gen but that was one of the things that always kind of bugged me about that one is that it does a large part of that episode does come off feeling like Let's give Tasha a second chance at death. You know, let let's send her out a little bit better than we did the first time, which I think, I think that diminishes. Oh yeah, the way she died, and I think she died just the way she should have in this one. I I think it's, I you know, 
I, I don't think that you want to take a care like like that and disservice her with a with a send off that doesn't no, feel in, genuine. In, in this case, the fans are a hundred percent wrong. I hate it. I hate that shit. I hate it. It's what I'm not satisfied by her death. Please make her death better for me. No, come on, man. You know, have some respect for the writers who wrote a really great story. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's not that it's uh, hey, it, you know what? If she died, and they didn't have the the, you know, it's not how she died. It's more about the the end where she gives her her speech. You know, that's right. where the important thing that you get out of it comes out of it it's not the manner in which she dies it's like you know it's like saying i don't like the clothes she was wearing the outfit she was wearing when she died can you fix that because i didn't i didn't picture her die you know i didn't picture her dying that way please make it better because it, it bothers me and then actually uh, you know that's fine i know people feel that way but don't do it. it, yeah. It 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 doesn't just diminish it. It kind of ruins it in in a lot of yeah. ways, because it said, ah, oh, that didn't really happen. Here's how you know, here's how it happened. And and I haven't seen the one where I guess she dies again, but I can't imagine it's nearly as powerful as this episode. You know, it, it is, but it's for a whole different thing, and it and it's not really got to do with Tasha so much as what the entire episode is about. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to that one. And I definitely don't want to spoil it for you because that really is a solid, uh, solid episode. But you know what? What's funny is um, I have no idea when I first saw this episode. I definitely did not see it first run. And uh, I, I want to say that I probably saw most of the rest of the series before I, I saw this particular episode. So I knew, you know, that she was dead for a long time before I actually got to go back and see this episode where it happened. And it's funny, the things that your mind remembers while it doesn't remember other important things. But I remember overhearing a conversation between a couple of fans right after this episode aired. And I'll never forget that one of them said that the the one thing that they would have um, changed or added was at the end when she was giving her little speech when she got to Data to just add the line, it happened. And I've never forgotten that. And I think that that, yeah, I think that would have been kind of nice if... You know, in reference to to when the two of them when got she it said on, it never happened. Yeah, yeah. I think that would have. Actually I was, been I was sort nice you know, moment. I was sort of wondering if there was gonna be if she was gonna be in data. Just a special little thank you for you know, <laughs> you know, so, 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 you know, not literally that, but you know, just if there would be some, some sort of moment like that. But no, I guess not. Well. We'll get a moment in the future that's the other way around, where we see how important she was to Data. And I like that. Mm -hmm. That that plays in very nicely. Do you remember, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it was an episode called Measure of a Man. That's a good one. I, I, I like that because we see that she did mean more to him than, you know, than what was let on or whatever. And that might have even been you know, owing back to, to fans having said that about, you know, they wish that she had acknowledged, you know, what went between them and all that, that 
you know, the fans were thrown a bone by having data, you know, be the one to remember it and hold on to that or whatever. But I, I liked that. I thought that was really nice. I, ju- I just wonder why people, once something, once something's happened, why people like fight it, you know, what if there's show that somebody, there's show that somebody writes and takes care to do, then something happens in it. And they, they start denying it and going, ah, no, I don't want that person to be dead. No, 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 no. <laughs> because these, these in this particular instance, I mean, Star Trek's what it is. I mean, it, it's yeah. important to people. I mean, we see just in ourselves, just you and I, how passionate and how worked up we get about, you know, when it's rebooted or whatever. So, I mean, you know, these characters. I just gripe about it. I don't demand that it gets <laughs> gets changed you know i just don't i don't know it would be so, like somebody saying i don't like your I, I like that song that you wrote but i don't like how that second change works could you could yeah you but make there's it a, a big minor difference between there's a big difference between a song and you know i mean let's face it these these characters to a lot of people and i'll i'll, I'll throw myself into this these characters become real people to us you know, yes. yeah, sure, sure. Captain Kirk never lived. You know, I know. Sure, he's I know a fictional. I realize that in my rational mind, but at the same rate, he feels very real to me. He's he's a hero. Right. He's a he's a father figure. He's somebody I would have loved to have grown up to to be in real life, and so they become real three dimensional, you know, figures that are in some instances more important to us than real people in our lives because we we get a deeper sense of them than we do the real people in our lives sometimes because we see them both at their highest and their lowest a lot of times we get their most intimate thoughts and you know the 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 yeah, moments of their you know we follow them so you become very attached to these people and I think the way that Tasha died, again, a very real-world way that somebody dies, it's just, boom, it's it's over, you're dead. I think that people have the same reaction to that when they're attached to the character as they would as if it was a friend of theirs. That Yeah, but guess I, what? You know, but here's you, the thing. You're in denial that, no, this can't have happened. This isn't real. Yeah, you know? but here's the thing. That Yeah, that's exactly right. But guess what? God ain't going to bring your friend back to life just because you bitch about it enough. You know what I mean? I, I, I just, I just, I, I hate when like a show like that goes, ah, you know, cause if you try to, if you try to make sure that every fan of, Oh, you're Star saying Trek, you don't like it when the, when the writers are producing. I don't like it when the writers say we take it back, you know, yeah, because yeah, everybody's bitching. Yeah, you know yeah. that drives me nuts. Yeah, I think they need. I to under I understand people up. feeling feeling terrible about Tasha's death, and even writing and going, "I wish you hadn't killed Tasha. You should have done it in a better manner." And you know, the writers may say, "Yeah, I know why you feel that way," or whatever. You know, sorry, whatever, tough titty, or whatever. But you know, for the writers to go like, "I don't know," there's a lot of people who are and and. And as we've learned with the podcast, you know, we have a lot of people who come to our forum and talk to us, but they're just the smallest part of, they're just a small percentage of the people who listen to our podcast. So most people who listen to our podcast don't, don't say anything about it to us. You know, we don't know any, we, they're, they're a silent, just invisible. And that is the way it was with Star Trek. So 
when the cards and letters start coming in, that's from that percentage. And it's a, a lot of people because there's a lot of Star Trek fans out there. So all of a sudden you hear from that, that most vocal, you know, percentage and they're saying, you know, we didn't like this, we didn't like this. And that doesn't necessarily reflect the way most people who saw that episode felt about it. You right. know what I mean? And, but but it starts putting sweat on the TV show going, oh, we don't want to disillusion the fans. And, and I think realistically they don't want to real disillusion the most vocal, super nerdy of the fans because they make the most noise and you'll, you'll hear them, you know, it could, that could cost ratings too. And, uh, but it just it, it it drives me nuts because, like you said, it, yeah. it devalues the the original the original story, and it, it it just says, well, you know, people who set out and try hard to craft a story, and and this one especially, I take more offense at, at this one getting turned around because this is up to this point, this is the best written, best directed episode yeah this is like the most fully truly realized epi- this is when the series gelled into its full potential or its potential began to show or whatever right you right. know and and there's people gripe and, and there's people already working to take it back you know ah it drives me nuts it I drives think me nuts if it was some crappy if, if it was some you know crappy Wesley Crusher issue episode and there was something that happened and and people griped about it and they fiddled around to fix it fine whatever you know but when you tamper with something that's just really good right. it bothers me especially if if you don't Un- unless whatever that tampering is, well, I mean, I don't want to present you better than that, right? I mean, I don't want to present you with a false impression, you know, uh, of what yesterday's Enterprise is either. You know, I mean, I don't want you to, to you know, be predisposed to hate it before we actually get there because I think oh, you will. Oh, you know right what? There. I remember it now. I remember it now, and I'm barking up the wrong tree. Totally. <laughs> that's but, right. Uh, that's right. Because it actually. It was sort of a way to bring back the actress <laughs> more than anything now that I remember it, rather than, like, we're going to bring back the character. It was well, a way... Well, Tasha, Tasha comes back, but it's it's basically it's an alternate It's a d- universe. different universe thing. Tasha. Yeah. It's and a, then the actress eventually comes back semi-regularly as another character as that's somebody else. related yeah. to Tasha. So, right. yeah. Spoiling it, right? Out. But I, yeah, I remember but, uh, that it, it was like not an actual attempt to bring Tasha Yar back to life. Right. So and she, she is dead and remains dead through the rest of the, you know, through the rest of Star Trek. But you know, hindsight being what it is, I think what I would have would have liked to have seen them do, if they really felt a need to, you know, again uh, address this supposed fan dissatisfaction with Tasha's death and all that. I, I think what I rather would have liked to have seen them do is just address it within the context of the show. Have there be a character, say Riker or Jordy, probably Riker would have been a better fit for the, the thing I'm envisioning, where they start to grow surly, you know, start to grow bitter 
and you see where they eventually have to go to I, I hate to say Deanna Troy because I really <laughs> don't like the character but say Deanna Troy because that's her function and we get a nice moment or a nice episode where they finally break down and confess Tasha's death was senseless and it's it bothers me I can't seem to get this I can't get over this I can't get it out of my head that she meant a lot to me. She was my friend. And, and look at the way she died. And they address it right in the show. So that they don't... You know, they're acknowledging... They're basically saying what some of the fans are thinking. Right, right. And they address it and they deal with it right there in the show. To where they don't have to do any sort of retconning or fiddle fuckery or anything like that. But they do deal with it. You know, with a character saying what the fans are, are thinking, you know? I think that would have been nice. And to my recollection, we don't ever get anything like that. And, when, it, and it wouldn't have been a big stretch because what the fans are thinking or what anybody would be thinking in the, in right. the case of a, a death of it. So it would have been natural. Natural, yeah. It would have felt very natural, I think. Yeah, well, I think there was an also the syndicated aspect of this show that they they tried to be linear I, and as you said, I guess I go more like linear story as it goes on. But I think in this early days, they, they might not have wanted to do that because they might have been like, well, you know, this episode could very well play on Channel 11 CKW oh, yeah, yeah. before her actual death. And people would be like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, right. she was yeah. just alive last episode. And now you're saying she's dead. How did that happen? Yeah, this was this was quite a long time before we would get you know overarching stories. Right. This was still very much you know done in one storytelling. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, there there will be references back and stuff like that. But yeah, it'll be a while yet before we get to stories that build upon stories and right. that sort of thing. Um couple just real quick notes and observations on this one. I noticed something that I, I could be wrong, but I think this is a big goof. At the beginning of the episode, there's we have yet another chief engineer. This one was, uh, what was his name? Lynch. It's kind of a dickweed. And he's doing something with the dilithium crystals, and he's screwing around, and Picard's on his ass about, you know, get the shit fixed right now, mister, and all that. Well, there's a part where... They slap the crystals into the, the chamber and Lynch is putting, you know, the computations in and all that. And he sets the inner, he, t- he either does it himself or I think he tells somebody else to do it. Says set the intermix ratio to 25 to 1. Now, I could be wrong. Are you sure that's this that episode? Wasn't that one of the, yeah, it was, wasn't it? I thought that was uh, the next episode that we were talking about. That was the one where they were in a hurry to get from one place to another, wasn't it? Yeah, this is where the at the beginning the the engines are offline. Oh, and you're they, right. You're right. All about the shuttle. So you're the, right. They have to get to the shuttle real quick. Yeah. So he's got to hit warp eight. And this so that, and this that, guy's no Scotty. He can't go. I can't do it for you, Captain. He's like, okay. Right. <laughs> but in that episode we just watched not long ago. I think it was called coming of age but i could be wrong it was the one where where wesley went to do those starfleet tests and he made friends with uh modok or whatever the hell that guy's name was there the alien dude that yeah the turtle guy and glue the whole time yeah 
wasn't one of the tests that that guy had was what was the intermix ratio and the answer was one to one and Wesley said it was a trick question. I'm, yeah. I'm almost positive about this. I didn't look it up or anything. I'm going by memory, which oh, is always yes. sketchy with me, but I'm pretty sure I know my shit on this one. So well, that's, somebody that's, screwed up somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, you know, I mean, the, for me, when that stuff happens, those numbers go right in one ear. What I, I, dis, <laughs> I, I disregard them. I'm like, it doesn't matter because if I do regard them, I'm going to be like you and I'm going to have to be like, that doesn't fit, you know? So I let it go. <laughs> I go, you know, blah, 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 blah. Dilithium. Like I'm awesome. What's, what's the problem here? Blah, 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 blah. Dilithium crystals. Blah, blah, <laughs> blah. We got to get from point A to point B. Blah, 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 blah. Numbers, numbers, point B. Fiddly fucker. The, the rammer John <laughs> goes into the, you know. Whatever you know, I I try to get the story elements and ignore all the numbers. Engineer with that attitude. I've, I've never paid attention to star dates or tried to make any sense oh, out not, of star yeah, dates no, that, yeah, that I and don't. all that. You know, I just let them go right by. Yeah, and go, that I mess with because that will cause you to have embolisms. Embolisms, exactly. So yeah, I was trained very early from star dates not to. Not to pay attention what the ratio was. Now, see, I don't know what because the I have pretty much confidence that it's not going to come up on a test, uh, and I'm and, it, and it's it's you know you know what I mean. It's not going to be I, I, I a, it's not going to be a, I'm not going to be watching an episode going shit. I totally lost the point of that episode because I didn't know what the ratio the of dilithium. See, I would just like to know what it is in the wiring of my brain that made me catch and actually give a shit about the intermix ratio. Yeah, I have never, ever <laughs> sweated a star date in my life because I always assume the star dates were bullshit. Mm -hmm. I, always, I always figured that somebody just said, yeah, star date, blah, 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 blah. Just get it the hell out of the way. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are people out there that stress about the fact that, like, in this episode, we're given a star date that clearly falls, like, after other episodes where Tasha's still alive or some, you know. I, like, I distinctly I remember, that, you know, being, I distinctly remember being a little kid and having some Star Trek fanzine that told you how to figure out the star date. And... It was so you could, but it it was how star dates work, so you could figure out what the star date was on your particular day, you know. Right. So I would actually figure out, you know, and and you could go in and and put the star date out there, but then I remember applying that to shows and going, oh wait, they're not following this. Somebody took found where it was the same on a couple shows probably and said, okay, close enough. That's how you figure out star dates. And so that, so yeah, then I gave, I gave right up on that. Just like playing <laughs> fucking Fizbin. Not going to happen. <laughs> I'll tell no, you the uh, same thing I told Clark Gable. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> now, I like the score to this one. But when I watched it with my wife, she said it was, uh, she said it was very cheesy 80s. It was I very synthy. It. it was very yeah. synthy. It had but that like... like it had that kind of chimey sort of yeah that's all i can 
I can really describe it as it's a it is very 80s synth. Yeah. Well, it's, that's pretty much it. That was um, oh, shit. Now I can't think of the name of the uh, the composer. Jones, Ron Jones. That was very much the way his stuff sounded, though, because if you ever listen to um, the scores, some of the stuff there's there's this box set that's out that's um, it's called Superman the Music, and I forget if it's the last disc or the next to last disc. One one of the last discs in the set is all bonus material. It's it's music that he composed for the uh, 1988 superman animated show you know cartoon show and there's an episode where these you know superman fights these aliens and it's almost the same music i mean it's just that was his style at the time he had this very weird synthy you know Mm -hmm. alien sound to his music so but i like it i i dig that kind of stuff it's it's different than anything else that it's we would very hear. 80s but it's still it just feels like star trek the next generation to me you know right. when i hear it i i it just you know it's yeah it, it, it uh, yeah it's so t- it's so tied in with that time period with me anyway that i would be weird if it didn't sound like that so i don't <laughs> mind i don't mind that at all but i do notice i do often notice go going into a show it's like ooh, this one's a synthy score Right. This one's a more of a cinematic score, you know, a more of an orchestral sounding score or a traditional, you know, that cross between orca- like a small orchestra, really dramatic Star Trek-y score. There is a line in this episode that is unintentionally funny that makes me crack up every time I hear it where uh, Counselor Troy is in the shuttle. And I think she's talking to Picard over the inter, you know, over the the combat. Mm-hmm. Just she's talking to somebody, and she say she says uh, the creature is filled with rage. And I always want to go and pursued by an investigative <laughs> yeah. reporter. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always get a kick out of that. I like that um, Riker gets his uh, Han Solo and Carbonite moment in this. Though at least that was pretty cool. Yeah. That was uh, that was pretty intense, you know, for him to to do all that. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure. Yeah, I, I, I every time I see that part, I just kind of think, you know, wow, you know, was was that really necessary? But you know, that was devotion, I guess. You know, devotion to the part and all that. But that that could not have been pleasant. Well, I think I I, I don't. Uh, another nitpick is when the thing spit him out. Did this thing, like, it, it was all that black goo, like, part of the stuff, uh, was that evil stuck to him? Was that literally evil stu- part of that creature still stuck to him? You know, I was thinking, wouldn't, you'd think almost by the way the creature moved and stuff that it would sort of suck him in and, like, the goop would probably go down his throat and into his ears and up his nose and stuff like that. But then it would sort of spit him out clean, you know what I mean? Right. Maybe kind of th- sweaty and and Han Solo fucked up, but still would wouldn't shed like a, leave a layer of evil on him. <laughs> I think if this episode had been made a few years later with better computer that, technology, yeah, I, I think we would have seen him be much more. You know, Armus. I mean, I think we would have seen him be much, much more like the Liquid Metal Man in Terminator Two, yeah. where. You know, he would actually, you know, because there's that great scene in T2 
where he's disguised as the linoleum floor. Yeah. And then he, like, sucks himself into a humanoid shape. I think that's really what they wanted to do with Armus and just didn't have the technology yeah. to do it. But I think that if they could redo it or if they had been able to do it the way it was envisioned, that when he rose up out of the pool, the pool rose up with him. You right, know, so that right. He, you know, he was he a pool was when he was... Pool. Yeah, he was the pool, exactly. He could, he could uh, stretch himself out. Right. Because later on, you know, again, when, when technology advanced, that was the sort of thing that Odo would do. You know, he would be a little pool of, you know piss on the floor and then he would you know suck himself up into a humanoid shape i i think that is really what we're supposed to be seeing with armis and they just you know it it just wasn't limited yeah yeah because something i was looking at today said that the original way that they had proposed to do that effect was to you know basically melt a figure like an action figure or something and then melt it in reverse and then do it in reverse and it just wasn't you know practically it just wasn't working for them so then they went with you know the whole guy in the d- suit. dug a pit and and filled it with you know whatever that crap was and then they had like a hydraulic lift underneath it that would like right. zim up out of it which i still think looks pretty cool but yeah then it does beg the question of you know how much of that pool and and the gunk that's left on Riker because they beam right up to the ship. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he's still covered in shit. So, did they take covered a piece of Armus with them? You know, it, it, yeah. I mean, he pretty much. I mean, it's pretty much made clear that he is the physical manifestation of evil. Right. <laughs> that, that the physical manifestation of evil, if you dump it out of your body, is black tar. <laughs> right. And and. You know, you think of, and when you think of him, that's the evil of a whole civilization. So, yeah, it, in that little condensed lump. So, yeah, that stuff should be pretty. That that's just that stuff be nasty. Yeah, <laughs> that Amis is nasty, nasty, slimy ass. But um, yeah. I still say that I think that there's. There's a story in there somewhere. There's more of a story with Armas. Well, I was you know? under, the, under the impression that they destroyed him, but um, I, 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 I was also wrong about that. They just they left him. And yep. I imagine left a marker saying, give this place a wide berth. <laughs> yep. Like a lot of places in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I would also, if... if I had left him there. I would also be thinking of ways of <laughs> coming back and wiping him out. Because yeah, Armus was a, a yeah. I, I don't know. I'd like to see another story with Armus to see if there could be any kind of you know. Because the whole thing is is like I don't think there's anything you know. That's that's sort of the conclusion of it was. I don't think there's anything we can do for you, Armus. I don't think like I don't think there's enough therapy in in the known universe to to fix you i don't even think the the i don't know maybe if they give him a shot of uh some of the juice that they had back in uh the uh old school <laughs> star trek in the last issue that we did that cured all the rest of the insane people maybe uh oh i thought you were gonna talk about the uh that armor sure talks gloomy like that <laughs> no no and 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 um 
what was it, for whom the gods destroy, where they had the serum that would cure the insane people. Doesn't matter that every insane person's insane differently. You give them a shot of this and give them a little neural... You know, maybe Armist just needed a little shot of that and some neural neutralizer, and he would have been good to go. I think what he ultimately needed was he needed Linus's blanket. Yeah, he just needed a little love, a little kitty cat <laughs> that he could strangle. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I think we've gone on long enough about this particular episode. So what we're going to do in future, folks, is uh, we had debated about this, what we were going to do. Basically, you're going to get a whole bonus episode because rather than next time, then have to triple up and do three episodes. What we're going to do is we're going to put we'll always have Paris and conspiracy into one episode. And then we'll have another bonus episode for you in two months Final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1. Another one of my favorites, The well, Neutral Zone. I was just going to say, that's a powerful episode too. So that'll, yep, that'll be is. good as a as a single. Yep, that'll to, be a good single one. And then we'll also, I think in that episode, what we'll do, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cover The Neutral Zone. We'll give it full coverage. And uh, what I would like to do is then when we're done reviewing that episode and discussing it, We'll throw in a little bonus for the listeners in that one, and we'll do kind of a uh, uh, an episode, or excuse me, a series one recap where yeah, we we'll just kind of look back and uh, and give our our parting thoughts on the the first season as we uh, after we finished it, just what we thought, you know, what were our favorite moments, what you know, all that sort of commentary type bullshit. A look back on Riker's bare face <laughs> yes. before it all goes away. <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, I think we both uh, definitely agree that uh, Skin of Evil, solid, solid episode. Solid, you know solid, fun? best episode so far. Yeah. <laughs> best episode yet so far. So yeah, beyond you know what's solid. Really funny is uh, just reading the stuff that's online about this one. That it seems like, for the most part, it does seem like other fans agree with us that it's a it's one of the top ones but what's funny is that most of the people actually involved you know whether it be the 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 stars you know the the actual actors or production or whatever i i wonder if they still feel this way but at the time and and for years afterwards some of the books and interviews and things that came in they didn't like this episode they they felt like it was uh like it just wasn't good, I guess. Yeah, which maybe, is just odd, you well, know. Well, maybe it didn't meet what they wanted to do with it, but we'll never know what that is. So yeah. you know, it's it's that's how it always is, you know. They're they're coming at it from, they can never look at it like we can look at it, and vice versa. I wonder how much longer it might be, you think, before we do see. You know what what they've been doing, or I guess they're probably finished now. You know they went back to the original series and did the whole special edition treatment, which I you know I think you and I both agree is fantastic. You know they 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 did George Luke what George Lucas wanted to do. They did it right. You know it's enjoyable. I, I actually like the remastered ones better in a lot of ways than the original episodes themselves. 
I wonder how much longer it might be before they might consider starting to do that sort of thing with this stuff. Because this is an episode I think could actually benefit from that. I have a, f- I have a feeling it'll never happen because there's seven times as many... There's seven times as many episodes to do, and there's way more special effects to tweak back up. So it would take a lot more work. They would have to update all that computer... The the. You know, I'm sure they would. Uh, there's a lot more enterprise shots doing stuff in right. this, so it would be a lot more work per episode and a lot of episodes. It would just be an expensive thing. But who knows? They, you know, they're gonna have to sell the whole series again sometime. They're gonna have to have some reason for you to buy it again before they <laughs> come up with the, you know, the brain implants of it or whatever. The Blu-ray, and then you'll have to get the Blu-ray brain implant next. So. Yeah, it's a possibility, but I don't know. It would be I think it would be a bit more work to um to do it, but it would be it would be really impressive to see cuz yeah, they could uh, Armis could get some tweaking up and, you know, the Enterprise they could just they could just redo all those, have them do it exactly the same thing but just, you know, triple or quadruple the resolution <laughs> that they had in those days. So, I I don't know, we'll see, it's a possibility I don't know if there's I don't know if they're even in the same Like, copyright Land, you know what I mean? For doing stuff like that, it's hard to say It's all all over the place Because that might have been something that happened When CBS got a hold of the original series But, that's about all I got for this This episode Me too, I think this was a solid one I think it's in the can, and I think I need to go to bed Alright We'll see you guys next time with We'll Always Have Paris and Conspiracy. (laughs) Cool. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled 
T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.